Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence podcast. And here with Devin once again for a back-to-back show up on the podcast. This is another first um, in terms of having somebody as a back-to-back guest on the podcast. You did such an awesome job last week, seriously, and people loved it. So I'm still I'm still rolling solo without Pete. He's still, now he's in Kauai instead of Maui. So tough life down there. And he'll be listening to this probably on the beach after it gets edited. So with that, Devin, why don't you uh, kick us off after a massive Hokies win and a great game atmosphere with the toast? Yep, so nice. We had to do it twice. The last year and a half, most of the Virginia Tech wins have been boring. And most of the losses have been blowouts, at least inside Lane Stadium. So I like to give a cheers to being reminded that football can still be a lot of fun because this game was a clown fiesta and I was all there for it. So cheers to the entertainment of Virginia Tech football. I love it. Cheers to that. So recap this game. I will apologize to all the listeners, but it just so happens that it was a six overtime game with uh, the longest ACC game in history, I believe, is is what it came down to. So this is going to take a quick second, but just want to remind everybody how things played out. I think I got all this right, but it's literally the longest that we've ever had. So hopefully everything uh, comes out right. UNC opened things up on the first drive of the game with a four-play 75-yard drive capped by a TD to make it 7 nothing. UNC. That was on the long pass to Daz Newsom, a name that we mentioned a couple times during the preview of this game. They ended up scoring anyway. Next drive, VT fumbles the ball on its third play to give UNC the ball back at the VT 34. And the defense holds them up to a field goal. And now it is 10-0. VT stalls on the next drive and puts a punt deep into UNC territory, which holds UNC to a punt as well. VT follows that up, going 80 yards on a five-play drive, capped with the long, beautiful pass to Trey Turner to make it 7-10. to What did you think of that pass to Turner? Well, the pass to Turner was a thing of beauty. We set it up nicely with the, I think, twice we ran the um, sweep to the outside, or not a sweep, excuse me, the swing pass to the outside. And then we did a little wrinkle because both those two passes went to Trey. And then the wrinkle, Trey was actually going to set up to block instead of receive the pass, then he goes deep. The defense stopping UNC for the field goal on their second drive was big for momentum. You know, Hendon unfortunately dropped the fumble. The defense, I mentioned it on the previous podcast, the defense stood up to adversity, big stop. We pinned them deep, another big stop. Offense finally got going. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to say that that pass gave me tingles. I didn't get to watch it. I was at a golf trip this past weekend, but watching the game back, it was beautiful. We come back again, a punt by each UNC and VT. It was followed up by approximately 80 yard drives by both teams. I think one was around 76. The other one was 82 yard drives by UNC and then Virginia Tech. The game is now 14-17 UNC. After another UNC punt, VT has a seven play, 64 yard drive to score, taking the lead, making it 21-17 at the half. You were there for the game. What were you feeling and what were the expectations from there on out? So again, having that defensive stop really kept the momentum back on our side. We felt like we, I felt like in the three people behind me, I sold my tickets to them. felt like the game was about to completely swing into our direction. We got the ball back to start the second half. 
at the time, I'm thinking we're going to score here. USC starts going to start to feel a little dejected. The defense is playing better. One of those rang true, but UNC came out and threw some haymakers of their own. Yeah, that's exactly right. VT stalls on the three and out, and then UNC goes 71 yards on eight plays to make it 21-24 UNC. So it's a fist fight back and forth at this point. Two more drives for each team result in punts. Then there's the VT fumble and a turnover on downs from UNC. It got a little sloppy there right after, after the half. VT has another long drive on 13 plays for 61 yards, and that results in a field goal to tie it up 24-24. And this is where we probably thought it might be going that way for the rest of the game. I don't know what your expectations were. I'm trying to remember when exactly Hendon got injured and Wilmis came in. Oh, yes, right at the end of the first half, and Wilmis came in. Initially, when he came in, when Wilmis came in, I'm thinking... Honestly, and I'm sorry, Ryan, but I'm thinking, oh, no, not not like this, not anything but this. And then he throws an absolute dime to Damon. And I go, honestly, at that point, I'm thinking back to 2007 when Tyrod supplant Sean Glennon. Sean Glennon wasn't playing well. Tyrod comes in. He starts playing well. Tyrod gets injured. Mobile quarterbacks, it happens. Sean comes in and starts playing out of his mind. And we start to speculate that he just plays better as a backup role. And at the time, after that dime, I'm thinking, all right, Wilmis just plays better as a backup. And then he didn't. He had a bonehead mistake, knocked us out of field goal range, and Fuente quickly pulled the plug. And then Quincy came in and, quite frankly, etched his name into Virginia Tech history. That's right. We had, going off of where I ended, more punts by both teams than two long TD drives. Keeps it knotted at 31-31 to end the game. There was a chance for one team or the other. Ended in a UNC. A UNC, the punt, we kind of stalled out, and then we we punted. You could see the UNC almost player almost touch the ball. That would have given us the Hail Mary, but they didn't touch the ball, and now we're in overtime. The new, without us knowing, the new overtime rules would soon come into, come into play, which are... It's pretty outstanding because it hasn't been used since the, I think it was the LSU, I can't remember who they played, and that's It was uh, LSU, Texas A&M. They went to seven overtimes, and in that, that game was the inspiration to create this new rule that we were the first game, I shouldn't say we, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech and UNC was the first game to hit the new rule. Yep, so in overtime, both teams settle for field goals and then touchdowns in the second overtime to each team to head to the third overtime there in there was the one-handed catch by Hazleton while being held in the second overtime that took us to 41 41 in the subsequent overtimes each team misses field goals we block one of their field goals in the fourth overtime which was an incredible situation in and of itself and then ultimately QP does it again after that outstanding pass to Hazleton, the one-handed catch that we'll remember forever with his run, dominating run, over to the left-hand side to score on the rush. And we win 43-41. to The listeners can just envision right now, if they've ever seen, I think the show is called Undisputed with Shannon Sharp. Just imagine me right now looking like Shannon Sharp, leaning back in my chair, feet up on the desk, Cigar in my mouth, beer in one hand at the end of this game, because that is exactly how I feel after this one. 
you can't count the number of times we should have lost. You can't count the number of times USC should have lost. It just and the balls just bounced in our favor. Khalil Madley makes some big plays. We'll get into that later. Quincy Patterson obviously made the big run. There was some questionable play calling that ended up working out. So it's kind of funny to look back and say it was questionable. But this game had everything. Like you said, blocks field goal, college kickers low, missed field goals, dropped passes, dimes by both sides of the quarterback, great catches, great defensive plays. This game had everything a football fan could want. The, the story of the game, and we'll get into the specifics and then summarize at the end. The story of the game here for me was this team certainly has not quit. They put everything out on the field. It was a beautiful display. Lane was lit. It was loud. We had to stick it in, come back, and now we get to listen, hopefully, to that moving forward. Overall, I think the story of the game was really about expectations and the potential to give up. The defense played nasty at times that they had to, and the offense did what they had to do with three different quarterbacks playing and one injured quarterback throughout that. I think it's only fair to start with the negatives because I do have a long list of positives here for this game. Maybe that's just me with my maroon, you know, orange eyes on, just like looking at it and thinking about how exciting the game was. But I do have a long list of positives. So why don't we reverse it for this one? And start maybe with some of our negatives of the game, and then we can end it on all of the high no- high notes that came out. Well, before you get started, I just want to make sure. How old are you? Because you just used the word lit, and I'm not sure if you're allowed to, to be honest. <laughs> lit. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 36, so maybe I'm not allowed to say that. I'm bad at math. I think that still brings you into the millennial generation, so I think you're good. We'll, we'll go with you're good. By a, year, by a year and a half, I believe, when I calculated it. So... Why don't you kick us off with some of your criticisms of the team and what things we still need to approve on. I'll go through mine and then we'll kick it over to the even more fun part of a lot of the positives I think we saw out in the field. All right, sure. So one of the bigger negatives uh, wasn't on the players, was actually on the coaching staff that I had written down here. And I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people who disagree with me, but I'll, I'll start it off by taking us back in time to 2017 when Virginia Tech was playing at Georgia Tech, late in the year, needed that win. I'm trying to remember where we were in the Coastal Division, but I believe if we won that game, it would help keep us in the race. It's third and one, late in the fourth quarter. We throw a pass to the end zone to Cam Phillips, and he drops it. Most people were thinking it was third and one. We knew we were going to go for it on fourth anyways because we had to get a touchdown, so it makes sense to take a shot there. They might not expect it. Then on fourth and one, we basically do the same thing. We take a shot. We took... Low percentage plays on short yardage situation that didn't work. And people were hollering at Cornelson Fuente saying, how could, with one yard to go, how could you call two low percentage plays? Fourth and three in the second overtime, Cornelson and Fuente call, in reality, a low percentage play where they needed three yards and Quincy Patterson's in the game averaging, I think it was 5.5 yards a carry, 3.5 if you take out his long touchdown round. So on the if, if he just hits his average, he gets the first down, and we call the low percentage play. It works. History will remember that the play call worked, but we cannot let Cornelson off the hook for – if we were on him in 2017 for bad play calling in that situation, I don't think there's any difference here that – I mean, the guts to call it, quite frankly. I mean, it failed for him in 2017, and he still had the guts to call it again. Props to him, but 
I have a strong feeling that if Damon drops it and they don't call the penalty or something else goes wrong, people are going to be on Kornielsen for that play call. What do you, what do you think of that? I do, but QP was running a lot in this game. And I do think that his ability to throw the pass here and there did mix it up enough that made his ability to run that much more effective in the game. And it's probably the opposite of what we saw with Willis and what we saw in terms of his passing only opening up a little bit of opportunity for, for him to run. But I, I get it. It's a low percentage play and I don't, I don't disagree with you whatsoever, but I do think the shakeup, it worked overall in the grand scheme of the game. It could have gone a different direction, but I, 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 I get it, and I, I can see that criticism, and, and I understand it. And if it wasn't going to be a criticism now, then why, was it back, why wasn't it back then? I do think QP is a, a different kind of quarterback, and I have a lot to say about him and, and his talent and what he showed in this game that I think gives us a, some really good advantages going forward. All right, yep, I buy that. Quick negative, not, not really a negative, but we still got to fix this turnover issue. Hooker just flat drops the snap in the first drive i believe the snap was good hits him in the hands and he just drops it dalton Keene has a fumble and it's hard for me to peg that on dalton Keene because let's be real how often is he carrying the ball in game and practice settings but i believe king well we don't know because again fuente keeps things close to the vest but i have a feeling that fuente knew Keyshawn king was not going to be playing in this game so he knew dalton Keene was going to be playing at running back they wouldn't just throw this in on friday so I would have hoped that, and I'm, I have to believe that he gave Dalton Keene some extra handoffs, extra arm. What is that thing that they that Shane Beamer whacked the running backs with back uh, in like 2013, whatever that glove? was? Yeah, the, um, the, the, yeah the, the boxing glove that he used to hit people with to keep the uh, ball in? Yes, the boxing glove. <laughs> oh, how could we forget that? But So we got to fix the turnovers because we didn't. We were not able to force any on defense, which quite frankly is no surprise. Again, Howell only had three picks on the year. He had a great game, ends up earning player of the week for the ACC. We, def- we definitely rattled him, but there were several passes where, definitely the overtime, the overtime touchdown where the defender is there. He's a little bit late getting his hand up there uh, to bat the ball away. It, is that really a negative on the defense or is that just more positive? Like you said, how long is going to be a problem in the years to come for us? Yeah, and I'll build off that. Howell played an outstanding game. Some of his passes were just, quite frankly, ugly. Some of them were great on our DBs and the breakups. We'll talk a little bit about Farley and what he was able to do in this game. Uh, That saved us a little bit. Some bad UNC penalties, in particular on some long plays where they had holding penalties, helped us out. So I think of that as something that could have gone a different direction. The run game looked a little robotic at times. And thankfully, we had the running talent in this game with Hooker and QP to really gain those yards. And McLeese really showed up. But it was a little bit obvious what was going to be put out there. I think people are going to scheme against that as they get more comfortable with the new quarterbacks. The defense, they didn't look great, but we missed some gap fits on a number of plays. We still missed some tackles, open field tackles, taking the wrong direction, leaving our feet. I think there's reasons that we can improve in that area as well. How about the quasi double reverse from UNC? Whatever that pass was, yeah, we got a we got a wide receiver so far open, 20 yards to the next um, DB that was available there. Those were kind of some some of my bigger things, and then the missed field goals. But that's pretty late in overtime. 
everybody's tired by that point. So well, it wasn't that surprising to see um, it. Do we even have a field goal in regulation? I think we have one. He shouldn't be tired. I don't know what else he's doing. No yeah. offense to him. Penalties like you mentioned. And they were just stupid. One holding penalty on the Michael Williams run. Michael Carter Williams, I think is his full name. He already has gotten eight to ten yards. And the holding penalty caused him to get maybe another five or six yards. And if the UNC guy doesn't hold there, he gets his 10 to 12 yard gain. They get a first down and they keep moving. Instead, they're back first and 12 or something and have to do it all over again. There was another holding penalty on on the offensive lineman against Gerard Hewitt that, quite frankly, Hewitt, I don't even think would have gotten there. At best, he's trying to make an arm tackle. And we've all seen the outcomes of those historically with Virginia Tech teams that we're not big and strong enough to get arm tackles uh, a negative here and i'm, I'm not going to say it's a negative but it's definitely not a positive i do really feel bad for ryan willis because he's done nothing but represent virginia tech to the highest standard he's, you know he's not there are players out there getting in trouble with the law talking back to their coaches getting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties ryan willis has done none of that every day he's always trying his hardest to give virginia tech the win I just I am now worried that he's just lost his confidence. And when you're a gunslinger like him, you know, you don't have a dual threat like Hendon Hooker and QP to fall back on. You need that confidence to be able to sling the ball around. I just feel like he's lost that confidence, that scared money don't make money attitude. And that can be a big deal going forward because I would suspect he probably will get some snaps the rest of the year. Hendon Hooker, we don't know how his knee's gonna be. QP, of course, is a runner. He's gonna get banged up. Look at UVA with Bryce Perkins. The reality is mobile quarterbacks get banged up. We are going to need Ryan Willis towards the end of this year. And if his confidence is shot, we might be in trouble. I think the that's a great point. I had that note. The offensive line just also doesn't look the same with Willis in because of the way that he plays the the position. That lack of run run threat just lets the defensive line the linebackers go to town. It changes the whole dynamic once you get Hooker in there and QP and they have to ride their heels a little bit more instead of just going after him. I don't know if that's really an indictment on him or the offensive line. I think it's just really a different quarterback and it changed the whole way this offense looks when Hooker and QP go into the game. And to your point, I don't think it's necessarily Willis's fault. It's just the talents that he has at his disposal do not do well in this offense that we are. And when you put Hooker in there, you put QP in there, and they have that run threat, QP and Hooker are not the same runner either. Those are two different. One has got a lot more mass. The other has a lot more shift to him. But when you put them in there and you keep that defense a little bit more on their heels, it changes up everything. Right. And Willis doesn't have that. Even when he runs... He throws his body into it, and you're wondering if he's going to get knocked out of the game because (laughs) every time, and, you know, credit to him, he does put his body on the line, and he tries what he can. It's just, it's a different feel. And it's why we see, you know, in the NFL, pocket passes still continue to succeed, but in college football, there's a shift. Well, there's been a shift, but it's a long been a shift to these mobile quarterbacks because the offensive lines in college football just aren't as good. But in the NFL, you know, the Patriots, the Colts with Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, when the Colts offensive line didn't suck. These less than mobile quarterbacks, but these lines, offensive lines are so good that they can sit back there, get three to four seconds. I forgot to mention about your triple reverse pass, whatever it was. Yeah, we actually were not fooled. The DBs and safeties did stay back. There was a miscommunication between the safety and the DB. Obviously, I don't know who's right or wrong, but they both went, they both went with the same guy on the right. And it was the either the tight end or a bigger receiver 
probably a tight end that was left open. So my gut says probably the safety made the mistake, should have stayed with the tight end. I mean, that's what chaos happens. They do all this trickeration. While the defense doesn't bite, they panic, remove the guy uh, wide open. I haven't read to change up. I haven't read too much into it because I try not to get involved in players' personal lives. Uh, Hezekiah Grimsley still is not playing on offense, and he's back there on punt returns, and he returned a punt. So I don't think it's injury. So, so he's either in the doghouse or it's something personal, and I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's noticeable just from the stats and it, just not seeing him out there because we saw his talent last year. He's definitely talented. Something's keeping him off the field. That said, that's not for us to guess at or try and figure out what's going on there. There's just definitely something that's keeping him off the field because we've been spreading the ball. This was this was a more focused uh, attack in, and I think it was just going to our most talented wide receivers because. When I ran the stats, I think Turner and Hazleton had something eight to 10 of the receptions in this game, which is makes sense given who you have on the field. I have it up right here. They had Turner had five, Hazleton had three, Mitchell had two, yeah. uh, and there were a total of 14 receptions. So quick maths, that's 10 out of the 14. I think, I don't know, why don't you, what else you got on the negative side because I got a fair amount on the positive side. So it'd be good to hop into it given the outcome of this game. I'm looking at my notes here. I don't have any more negatives. Some negative, one negative that kind of turned into a positive. Of course, I'm sure everyone saw the Reggie Floyd uh, unsportsmanlike contact where he runs into a guy. I actually went back and watched the replay. This is my theory on what happened because on that fourth down attempt, the UN fumble, there was no question about it, but like any good defender, the Virginia Tech's going to pick it up just in case. And he starts running. And the UNC guy is running after him because he didn't have an angle to the ball carrier. He doesn't know that it definitely was not a fumble. All he saw was ball on ground. Hokey picks it up. He's trying to run to stop a touchdown. And Floyd, and you know, we talk about mean streaks. Floyd saw him. He, his helmet turns, and he sees them, and he just doesn't care. He just is like, eh. You hit me, you're not going to win this battle, so whatever. USC player hits him, he falls down. Ref calls the unsportsmanlike penalty on on Floyd. And that's, I saw Floyd pleading his case to Fuente, and Fuente understood it. But so just like, it wasn't the UNC guy being chippy. It wasn't Floyd taking a cheap shot. It was just, a, a, a as best you can say, a misunderstanding between both players. I watched the replay on that one. And I had the same read. It's just two guys that weren't going to give up each other's space and they were heading opposite directions. I think it could have been called on, on either one of them. It just so happens that Floyd can hit a little bit harder. So I totally <laughs> agree with you. He's got so that one for a with reason. With that, yeah. With that, why don't we hit a quick beer break and then get into all our positives. I got a bunch of them out of this game and, and we'll go from there. So are you drinking anything over there? What yes, sir, I am. So um, again, for those who know me and for those who don't, I travel for work. And as they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Unfortunately, I don't get to travel to Rome. I am stuck in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So uh, I'm in the hotel. It's got a bar. So I went down to the bar, asked what they had for bottles from a local brewery. So I am drinking the Water Gap Wheat from the Appalachian Company in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It is 4.8% alcohol by volume. Uh, we're even brewed, bottled by the Appalachian Brewing Company Incorporated, right in down, is that downtown? Because I recognize that street, but whatever. Again, I asked like, hey, what's, what tastes like a blue moon and a Samuel Adams summer ale? <laughs> this is 
It's not as good as those two, for sure. Samuel Adams is still one. Blue Moon would be a close two. This is okay. Of course, it loses its luster because it's not on tap. The Samuel Adams I had was on tap, but it, it's passable. If I'm in Harrisburg and if I ever go to that brewery, I would order it again. Uh, Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm having... It's got... looks like two different names. It's called The Nightmare, or it's called probably a Spanish word that I'm going to butcher, of course. Mancudra, which this brewery is out of Boston, Massachusetts. It's uh, Dorchester Brewing Company. Most people are probably familiar with Dorchester. It's kind of a rough town, and they kept it going with the rough town feel. This is 10.2%, a double IPA. And when I picked it up, I was supposed to do this on the podcast last week, and we forgot to do the second beer break. Their whole theme is uh, this is like different forms of torture. I have a feeling that Mancudra or Kudra, I think I'm pronouncing it right, is a form of that. So a little bit dark. And let's just say the graphics on the can are just as dark. So each one of their <laughs> beers is like a different form of torture. It, it's a bizarre concept, but I guess it's coming from Dorchester. So what can you say about it? That's... Uh, that's the style up there, I, I guess. So with that, I appreciate you grabbing a local beer because that's real sweet for, especially since that you're there. But now on that negative note, we get to hop into all the positives. Here. Oh, I'm so hyped for this, but I will tell my grandkids about this one. Oh man. Okay, so my first note right here: Mac Brown was thirty-seven and one after a bye week. This includes his career at Texas and UNC. He is now 37 and 2. And that just makes me smile. I don't know why. Matt Brown's a nice guy. I don't know why I take joy in his displeasure, but you know, whatever. On top of that, we won the game. And to this point, I think one of the biggest positives, which could end up being a negative, was Hooker coming out and showing even more promise than I think I saw in the game prior to that when able to escape people from having hands all over him. Granted, the commentary from Fuente was he doesn't think it's going to be a long-term thing. I'm guessing from that comment, maybe one to three weeks, he's going to be out, but he deserves a, a ton of credit in this game, despite not finishing it off. The QB is just in general. After Hooker comes in, has a great performance for us, has to go out of the game in the second half. Um, well, I think it was in the second quarter that he went out of the game. Then you have Ryan Willis step in after getting relegated from his starting spot playing pretty well has that great TD pass as you mentioned on the fade route to Hazleton over on the right hand side of the end zone which was gorgeous and then QP comes in out of nowhere he looks he looks great he running the ball he ends up going I think what three for six 54 yards passing he did what he was supposed to do he had another 22 yards on the ground on 21 carries and another rushing td for two dds on the day plus everything else you had one from mccleese you had one from each of the quarterbacks and then you had another one rushing on the ground uh from qp i can't say enough about him it was it was pretty incredible yeah in a way this was almost the defense not the same, of course, but this was almost a vintage Beamer ball offense in terms of we're running, we're running, we're running, we're running, bam, long pass. Back to the run, back to the run, back to the run. Maybe we get a long run if things break out right for us, and then bam, long pass again. 
Because like you said, he only threw six times. And quite frankly, they were all dimes. One of them, Turner dropped in overtime. And that was a beauty of a throw. Little bit in front, but have the tight spiral. I'm looking to trade. You got to catch that man. On the TD run you mentioned, there was a really, really nice chip block by number 69 for Virginia Tech. Chaz Surratt was coming in. He was going to try to make a play and tackle Quincy in the backfield. But number 69 with the really nice chip block. Quincy goes one gap farther. Chaz Surratt comes up short. Quincy cuts it upfield. Really nice touchdown, if I do say so. Later in later in overtime, again, Poya's not panicking. The blocked field goal, I believe it was blocked by the helmet of the lineman. I didn't get the name of that particular guy, but way to use your head. And then the defense really adjusted. The The first two drives, either two or three drives, I believe, for UNC ended in touchdowns. Uh, and they had UNC put off some big runs. Michael Carter-Williams, of course, wasn't playing inspired. I'm sure he was upset last year when he fumbled at the goal line and that gave us a chance to win. So he was up for this game. And then definitely towards the middle of the second quarter into second and a half. When you think about it, I think the defense only gave up 14 points after those first two drives. One of them on a trick play that like that's what trick plays do. And then another one, I can't remember if it was after the fumble or not, but that is huge growth from our defense because it was talked about last year a lot about how the wheels just fall off, fell off in the third quarter. Our point differential in the third quarter was absolutely atrocious. And it was because, as Buzz Foster talked about, the defense was so young, they couldn't take adjustments. He was spending so much time just teaching them the base defense. They didn't have time to learn to take an adjustment. So having a defense now that, yes, it's not the same. It's not the same dog mentality. Even the best offenses are scoring 10, 14 points on a good day. Being able to adjust when the offense is now starting to pick up its stride and they're going to get you 30 to 40 points is huge going forward. Yeah, and to build off of that, that that play by Quincy for that long run, that was a designed run right from the snap. You could tell there, there was no read option there. That was a designed run, and he took it right through the center. And when he got to open field, he just showed wheels. Nobody was even close. He was so fast on that. Uh, when he pulls the ball down, on on the actual read option he's just dangerous like it's like five yard plays are not a problem for him to get it looks beautiful to your point on the defense caleb farley is becoming a monster he is pass up breakups are a thing of beauty uh, on a lot of those plays mcleese is starting to see the field really well and come into his own. I'd love to have King out there as well, but he was bouncing off the line on a couple of plays and still picking up yardage. One of them was going opposite direction, but it didn't even look dangerous. Like he was going to get tackled in the backfield. It looked like he was dead in the water a few times, but he still managed to get even on plays like that three, four yards to keep things moving. And when he punched it in from the five yard line, that was another nice run for him. So I I wish we had both of them out there, but just really pl- proud of, of McLeese and the way that he's been playing. And then the offensive line had some nice blocking where they got to the second level. If you remember on the screen pass to McLeese, where the offensive line got out in front of him and he got a good probably 20, 25 yard run out of it, made a couple people miss. You know, all of that just seems to be coming out, coming together very well. Um, yeah, and if you've seen the highlights, McLeese had a beautiful phone booth move on Chasterat, which you, you can make an argument that's UNC's best defender. He definitely leads him in tackles. Uh, you know, he faced on the inside, Chasterat bites, 
because to the outside could have been it was close to a face mask too and he still he breaks that tackle he breaks the second linebacker he goes off for 12 13 yards and that's what of course fuente is alluding to making the unblocked hat miss the touchdown run i think he was stopped initially in like the three two ish yard line he fights for that last bit of yards i will the play calling in the set in not the second overtime excuse me the sixth overtime really liked the play because and this is my positive note here. UNC and every 65, all 65,000 of us in the stands knew exactly what we were going to do pretty much the entire second half. As I said before, it was going to be run, 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 big pass, run, 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 run. And UNC still, at UNC's best, they could only stop us for a three or four yard gain. And that speaks to, like you said, the quality of the offensive line play. The runners picking the right holes, making the unblocked hat miss. Quincy, quite frankly, just being massive, getting hit and falling forward if he's not breaking free. On that touchdown run, I think UNC just underestimated how fast he was. I mean, you see him, he looks more like a tight end, maybe more in the four nines, a 5.0, 40-yard dash. He probably is closer to 4.6, maybe even pushing 4.5 as he continues to get rid of that baby fat as he grows older. I think he's still 19 years old. So they underestimated how fast he was. And... My one another one of my biggest positives. Fans, experts, and maybe even some coaches, you know, under their breath have really lamented on Lane Stadium as a whole. The students, the fans, the atmosphere, the environment. This game was a throwback. Of course, there were some empty seats. I actually have a theory on that. At the top of the East Stands, because I was a student not too long ago, we don't want to sit in the corner. Nobody wants to sit up there. So we have our tickets and we kind of just scoot down and huddle in. So like, like the, if the row is designed for 30 people, we're going to fit 35 there. And when you do that for 20, 25 rows, actually it's more like 40 rows because alphabet goes double letters. All of a sudden those quarters, corners look a little empty. So I, if Virginia Tech ever becomes good again, I wouldn't actually be surprised if like we have a packed house. There's still the corners are empty because, again, people are packing in because they don't want to see those corners. And this is probably the highlight of the story that I'm going to leave with when talking about Lane Stadium. On the field goal attempt where we have, he has to miss it. The UNC player has got to miss this kick or else we lose. The students, or I guess Lane Stadium's social media team has started this thing where night the night, where between the third and fourth quarter, everyone pulls out their phones and turns on their flashlight. And it looks cool. It looks really cool to see Lane lit up like that. The whole student section in the north end zone, the entire east stands, for this field goal, pull out their phone, they turn on the flashlights, and they're waving it around. If you go back and watch the replay on YouTube, you can see the phones lit up. And this football, I think it hit the flag, honestly, on the goalpost. I'm pretty sure it hit the flag. That's like one of those throwbacks to the students and the fans willing their team to win. We did everything we could to will this team to win. You know, in summary, I think this, you both agree, this really could set the tone for the team. We have a lot ahead of us. We're five and two. We don't control our destiny necessarily yet until unless Duke takes another loss. And then I think at which point we will, but we have a bye week coming up. Then we have Notre Dame and South Bend. And then we have Wake Forest at home. I'm going to be there for that game. Just an incredible win for this team. And they deserve them and the coaches. I I thought it was overall a well-coached game, especially given the shifts in the number of quarterbacks that we had missing players and the way that they went out there and ended up winning it. So just an overall amazing game. Yep. And I believe we'll, uh, you'll do the Notre Dame podcast with Pete when he gets back next week. 
Wake's looking mortal all of a sudden. They lost to Louisville, then lost to Florida State. And, you know, maybe maybe the secret is out. Florida State figured something out, held them to, I think, 22 points. Maybe the secret's out that game, looking a little bit better. And then we have, to round it out, at Georgia Tech, Pitt at home, and then, of course, the last game of the year at UVA. Uh, UVA still looking good. Georgia Tech, at some point, they'll figure it out. Of course, they got to rebuild, but at some point, they'll figure out how to run a standard offense. Don't know if it'll be by that game or not. I love it. It'll be good. Well, with that, I have a I have a beer that I've had many times before, so it's not going to be anything original. But I'm more than happy to reference it. I don't know if you have one or if you're uh, or or you're. All yep, good. I have one more beer. I'll go ahead and get started. It's not from Harrisburg. This one's from Philadelphia. It is the Jefferson's Golden Ale. I actually just finished the wheat beer, so if you don't mind, you'll hear this bottle cap open. So let me try it. Let's see how it goes. What is it? The Jefferson's Golden Ale. Yards Jefferson Golden Ale. Excuse me. Let me see how it is. Take a quick sip. I'll do this one. So I just did the normal. I was in a rush. This is, it's been a... I was gone all weekend. So this was a this was a rush to get everything lined up and do the full film review. I did the pumpkin ale. I cheated a dogfish beer that I've had on here many times. Honestly, it's still one of my favorite pumpkin beers. Mostly because it's not really that pumpkin-y. It's got a little darker feel to it. So... I'm not going to re-review it because I like it a lot and I've had it on here probably a couple times before this. Guess what? We're 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 running on fumes this week and uh <laughs> I'm I'm doing my best here. Yep. So, uh thanks for giving me time to take a sip. It's from the Yards Brewing Company in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Like I said, it's a golden ale, 8% alcohol by volume. It kind of reminds me of an IPA honestly, which is weird because I don't see anything on here that would make me think it's an IPA. And I'm gonna shout blasphemy on this podcast. I don't actually like IPAs, so I love it. Clearly, I should have just gotten two Water Gap wheats. That was my mistake. But it's okay. It's not as strong as an IPA, so I can handle it. So I will finish it and not waste my money because I need that. <laughs> but it it it's okay. I I probably won't order it again. I'll just get the Water Gap wheat again. All right. Well, with that, why don't we get into picks? As a recap. I'd been, How'd you do, I, Robbie? I had been, been doing pretty well in uh, both our CBS picks, and I haven't announced the winner this week, so I'm botching that. So P can yell at me when he gets back. We usually tag team some of this. But somebody won. We'll announce two winners on the, on the, next, uh, the next podcast. But even during their picks, you've been taken over for Pete. He doesn't know that, but he's about to find that out over while he's on the beach that uh, uh, I've been swapping. I'm not but, sorry, Pete. But you went you went two three and one last week. I went oh five and one, which I believe is my worst or like close to worst. That that one time might have actually made it better. I think I might have gone over once before. So let's get into these picks, which you can obviously not rely on given how terribly I did. The first one we got is Miami at Pitt. Miami's a five and a half point favorite and people are getting on the pit train about them being good. Miami has obviously been struggling and I'm wondering what you're going to go with here. Yeah. I thought I was going to be on fire last week. Pitt got me the points. Clemson Louisville started out like three Oh at the end of the first quarter. So I thought it was going to be no scoring five and a half. It's at Pittsburgh, which doesn't really matter for Miami. It's a house of horrors for us, but I don't think Miami cares all that much, but it is going to be cold. The Miami Miami lost, right? Miami yeah. lost to Georgia Tech. Pittsburgh is on the up and up. Hmm. 
I'm going to take Pitt. I'm going to take Pitt. I think they win by a touchdown. Where right. are you at? All right. I'm taking Miami there. All right. So next we have UVA minus three and a half at Louisville. UVA coming off the bye week if I'm – or did they beat Duke? No, they beat Duke. Okay. They beat Duke. Louisville – what did Louisville do? I actually don't remember. Oh, wait. No. I think Duke beat uh, – no, you're right. Yeah. So that's why. Never mind. I, I mixed that up. You're right. I'm pretty sure it was the other way around. And Louisville got stomped by Clemson. Oh, right, right, right. Spicy. All right, so yeah, what's your pick there? I'm going to take UVA in this game. I, I was getting high on Louisville, and I don't really take Clemson game for much. And Clemson didn't play that great, but they've been beating everybody by you know 25 to 35 points. I don't know. UVA needs a win here. I think they're, I think they're going to take this one down. So you picked Louisville? Oh, you picked UVA, excuse me? Yeah. Um, Right, yeah. UVA is on the up and up. I, I'm not going to look at the Louisville-Clemson game. That, it, Like you said, is Clemson. How healthy is Bryce Perkins? I, I haven't read into that. I don't know how healthy he is. UVA just lost Bryce Hall either last game or two games ago. That's a huge blow for them. And I feel really bad. Bryce Hall's a good kid. Came back for his senior year. Could have went to the NFL, decided to come back. And Honestly, you hate to see it. And it's, quite frankly, why I'm on the side of players should leave as soon as they can. Don't don't risk that money. I'm going to go with Louisville. I think Bryce Perkins is beat up. Not having Bryce Hall is going to hurt. Uh, so I'm going to stick with Louisville. All right. I like it. And just for, I didn't look into any of these games. I'm basically just getting my picks in this week. So, <laughs> I mean, I looked at some of the box scores from last week. So we got Duke at UNC. UNC is a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to take Duke just as a... That's just a cut cliff move. And I don't like taking that because we really need a, another Duke loss. I believe we need another Duke loss. I thought that was what was keeping us from, you know, controlling our own destiny in the coastal. But I'm going to go with thinking that Duke's going to cover that three and a half. I agree. Uh, and not because I think Duke is necessarily better, I think they're going to cover because. What was it? Six overtimes? I can't remember. Was it four? Yeah. Five? Six yes. overtimes that UNC had to play? And now they're having to go right back and play. Not a short week, obviously, but they don't they don't get a bye. So I think UNC's just going to be absolutely tired. Um, you are right that, yes, Duke has to lose one more game for us to control our own destiny because the teams ahead of us, Pitt and UVA, we still get to play. Miami already has two losses, so we have the tiebreaker on them. Uh, Duke has two losses, but they have the tiebreaker on us, so they have to get to three. Quick segue from the picks. Sorry, I almost forgot to mention. The ACC Coastal Circle of Suck has been completed. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, it's this joke that we've been doing since, I think, 2000. Quite frankly, it's been happening ever since Virginia Tech stopped dominating the Coastal. Yep. So, really quick. Virginia Tech beat UNC. UNC beat Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech beat Miami. Miami beat UVA. UVA beat Pitt. Pitt beat Duke. And Duke beat Virginia Tech. Every, Beautiful circle. Every year. Happens. Can't beat it. Oh, man. I love it. So we agreed there, right? You were going with Duke. So next up, we have number eight, Notre Dame, at number 19, Michigan. Michigan is the favorite minus one, so might as well be a pick em. Michigan coming off the touchdown loss to Penn State at Happy Valley. Did Notre Dame have a bye again? Uh, no, I, don't know. I think they won. I'm trying to remember who they played, but I think they won. I thought this I, this line, I think, has moved because when I was listening to a podcast on the way home, somebody was saying that Notre Dame's now favored. 
I, I, I set the lines and then we just go from there. So we have it this one. We're picking against Michigan as a favorite at minus one, which I got off of the Yahoo app. I don't know. I, I'm going Notre Dame here. Michigan came back a little bit. They were getting rolled by Penn State in that game. They started to show some offense in the second half. They ended up covering, I believe, in that game, which I may have picked the other way and ended up, well, obviously I picked the other way because I went 0-5-1. and I think this is Notre Dame's probably going to roll them by like a touchdown. Uh, yeah, we, we both picked uh, Penn State to cover the nine-point spread and then Penn State ended up only winning by, I think it was either seven or eight. I, what is that, two losses by Michigan now? Yeah. Well, Jim Harbaugh day is long, and I'm picking them to lose to Ohio State whenever that game happens. So they can't have four losses already. So I'm going to pick them to win. Actually, no, yeah, they can't win by – they win by one. It's a push. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to stick to Michigan just because I need a, I need a 10-3 Harbaugh day. Yeah, I think they lost to Wisconsin the week before maybe. That might have been their loss. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'll stick to Michigan. I don't oh, – yeah, I'll stick to Michigan. Stick to the first cut. Um, so next up, number 13, Wisconsin at number three, Ohio state, Ohio state's getting 14 points. I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. Wisconsin was emphasis on was my national champion pick, uh, that I picked about week three when I saw that their running back had like 800 yards in three games to Illinois, Ohio state, of course, is just, you know, being the lawnmower that is the Ohio state Buckeyes. I'll go first. I'm going to pick with Wisconsin, Ohio state's still going to win. But I think the running game, Wisconsin has a great defense. It's going to be a low-scoring game. It's hard to win by 14 points when you can only score 24 points yourself. So I'm going to go Wisconsin. Okay, I think you're going to think you're going to eat it on that one, but we'll find out. So Auburn is number nine at LSU. LSU is a 10 and a half point favorite and has been rolling right now. Most have them independently outside of the AP poll as the number one team in the country. It's at home. It's in Death Valley. I'll go first. I'm going LSU on this one. I I got a lot of confidence. Auburn could definitely make me, you know, eat my eat my words on this, but I'm going to go LSU in this game. They look good and their quarterback looks amazing. It's at it's at Death Valley number 2. Is there three Death Valleys? I don't know where they rank in the Death Valley hierarchy. I'm going to go LSU as well. I think they backdoor cover. I think they're going to be up by six or seven late. Auburn's going to be pressing to try to score. And that LSU defense knows how to get into the end zone. I think there's going to be like a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown late that gives me the backdoor cover. I don't like that LSU is ranked number one. I understand why. But I look more like a, the how boxing does rankings or whatever. You're the champ until you lose. And in my opinion, I look at it. Clemson's the champ until they lose. I know that backfires. I think it was Florida State in 2014 when they were the champ until they lost. They get to the playoffs and they got boat raced by Oregon. But, I mean, they didn't lose until that game. So, but I, so we'll, I guess hey. we'll both be eating if Auburn comes out and uh, makes us look silly. But I, I think with Death Valley, Auburn's going to be down. But they're going to keep it close. They're going to be down, but they're going to start to press. Unless you're going to get a turnover, back to a cover. That's what I'm picking to happen. I like it. Well, with that, we're wrapping it up. Uh, hopefully, we kept it a little bit shorter. We just got one game. Next week, we're going to come out. And uh, during the bye week, we'll do our Notre Dame preview for a huge game. 
maybe it's a huge game or it could be a blowout for all we know. Notre Dame's tough to peg this year, given the teams that they've they've been facing. Hopefully we come out and uh, and have a great game and we'll have a good preview for you next week. Again, a super big thanks, Devin, coming on the podcast, keeping me company and keeping me straight with all the things that I end up missing and all the things that he ends up catching. I appreciate it. Honestly, it was uh, really nice to have you on. If you uh, want to hit us up again, it's too deep VT at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you want to just send us a tweet and tell us, uh, you know, what you think about this last week's win, send it over. It's at too deep VT on Twitter. You can find us on Apple podcasts. Just type in the easiest way Hokies. And we're right there typically on the, on the front page of, of the top podcasts out there for, for the Hokies. It's the easiest way to find us. And with that, Devin really appreciate you coming on again and go Hokies. Yep. I think it would be great to end it with a, Oh, Oh, stick it in, stick it in, stick it in, stick it in.